0: I want to I talk to you today. The title of my sermon is uh, God Thoughts That Change Destinies. Now, what is prophetic commissioning? Have you ever kind of heard that word? We just kind of actually coined that phrase here the last couple of years. We've used different terms, prophetic assembly, other types of terminology to describe what we're going to have in these special meetings. Basically, a team of people with with uh, special giftings in the area of being able to pray over people and to prophesy and to have the gift of prophecy the gift of prophecy i would just lay out for you would be this to be able to give messages from god to an individual or to the church that are inspired by the spirit of god candidates have applied and have been selected and screened and uh that schedule, as I said, is going to be sent out to everybody, and they're going to be brought before the church and given a thorough, a thorough word about their placement, their life, their journey, and what God wants to do with them in the body of Christ. Now, uh, others, they may pick out you know, people out of the crowd and give you a short word to confirm something or bring clarity to something going on in your life right now. These, uh, this gift of prophecy, these messages from God, these God thoughts, as I'm going to use today, really have in it contained another gift that the Bible describes in 1 Corinthians 12 called the, the word of knowledge, uh, knowing things, information about you that would be humanly impossible to know, to, to bring faith. Well, why, why, why do this, Bob? You know, why do this? Well, one, the reason is that we want to see the church built up. We want people to be encouraged and touched by heaven and know that this isn't just a man-made institution, but we're an organism that's being built and it's being brought together, it's being used supernaturally by Jesus himself. We also want people to sense God's nearness, that, that God is in the house I like it. one of my favorite phrases is Jesus is in the house. Let's just say that with me. My favorite phrase: Jesus yeah. is in the house. That's one of my favorite. I, I love that out of Mark two. He's in the house. I want him in the house. I don't want him in the house by faith. I want him in the house really, like he's there. You know what I'm saying? There's a great thing, by the, I'm here, where two or three are gathered, but then there's a there where he's there. You know what I'm saying? We want both. We want it by faith, and we want it there. And so Jesus is going to be in the house, and he's in the house today. Would you tell the person next to you, he's in the house today. He's in the house. Come on, he's there. We also, we want to help confirm and settle people in the will of God, and we also, why we do this publicly, we want people to receive the ministries of other people in the church. It happens to me all the time. Pastor, I want to pray for you. I remember that they may have gotten a prophetic word. You're going to pray for the pastor once in a while. Just, okay, I remember that. Pray for me. Lay hands on me because God said you have something to give to me that I need to really submit to. And so it enhances body ministry and and people have been deeply impacted over the years in our church. It's made us the strong church that we are and able to do some of the things that we have done. Now in preparation for this, I want to talk about God thoughts that, uh, that change destinies. And what I want to use is, is, is the Apostle Paul's own autobiographical description of a prophecy that he received. And he's actually talking to a crowd of people who are not very happy at, with him at the moment. He's sharing this. It's actually a mob that they would like to kill him. But he got permission from the, from the Roman soldiers that intercepted his martyrdom and says, can I speak to the crowd? And he begins to address the crowd in Hebrew, and he's saying these things to this particular crowd at the temple. He said, and one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. Now he had been blinded by a great light on his way to Damascus, as a Pharisee and with authority of the scribes in the Sanhedrin to arrest and imprison Christians. And he was intercepted by Jesus himself, blinded by a light and heard the audible voice of God speaking to him. You ever heard the term, God is a gentleman? Not in this case. He wasn't very gentlemanly at all. Okay, I remember reading Philip Schaff's uh, Chronicle on Church History written in the latter part of the 19th century. He says, God has to meet us according to who we are. Paul needed a two-by-four, okay, just the way he is. He's just made that way. He wasn't going to listen to anything else except for a two-by-four. So God met him with a two-by-four. God will meet you where you need to be met. And so knocking him over, blinding him, he says, going, (laughs) he didn't even, you know, Paul gets up and goes, what do you want me to do? That was a smart question, (laughs) He said, I want you to go into Jerusalem and go Damascus, and I want you to be told what you must do. No, there's no options. He's not going to give us door number one, door number two, door number three. Okay, remember, let's make a deal. How many old boomers remember? Is that show still around? It is? Okay, I don't know what it's like today, but back in the day when I was a kid, you had door one, door two, door three. Jesus never saw that show. He goes, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour, I received my sight and saw him. And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear the voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to every one of you who have seen and heard, of of everyone of what you have seen and heard, I should say. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins calling on his name. Fourteen years later, a gathering took place at a church called Antioch that was really the first Gentile church in church history. A bunch of Gentiles got a hold of the gospel from scattered Jews in Damascus, Syria, and there formed one of the great mission churches of the first century church. And it says, And now there were in the church of Antioch prophets and teachers... Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. It wasn't quite the combination of people. Notice it's racially mixed. Notice that God's an international God. And notice that people came from all strata of, of socioeconomic conditions. And Saul, which would be the apostle Paul, And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, there's that famous word that people don't like. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. So the Apostle Paul, who wrote probably one half of the New Testament, describes in Acts 22 to a crowd, basically how he received a message from God from one Ananias, about what God wanted to do through him in his life you know he actually he actually was to be a witness and Paul did this consistently He wasn't so theological that he just couldn't tell the story oh he basically got a holy ghost two by four over his head he, what that he that he met and encountered a living Jesus and he really wanted people to know that. I, he encountered a living Jesus. Paul had things that he wrote, I received from the Lord. In other words, I didn't receive it from anybody else. I received it from Jesus himself. He said, Jesus appeared to me while I was praying in the temple. He, he had encounters. Angels came to him and talked with him. It wasn't a theory relationship. It wasn't a living relationship. And he told that all the time. You will see the righteous one. You will hear his voice. And you'll tell people about your encounter. Come on, Our story is our encounter with God. Now, one thing he leaves out that was in the Acts 9 prophecy were these words. Carry, you'll carry my name before Gentiles and kings and the people of Israel. But what happened, 14 years came, went by, and then finally the second section of Scripture that I'm reading to you here began to talk about the timing of that word. You need, we need to know the difference between God giving us a promise and God having a time by which he releases that promise. Just because I hear it doesn't mean it's going to happen now. When I was 24 years old, Sue was 22 years old, maybe 23. I think she was still 22. We received a word. Everything he said came to pass in our life. But I remember the word had a warning. It said, do not bite at the bit or try to run ahead of God. This is going to take a while. Be of good patience, says the Lord. It took a while. There was a lot of training, grooming, changing, purging. Learning, being discipled, that took place before it came to pass. Scholars believe between that encounter in Damascus that, and where Ananias gave him that word, and this meeting where it says, "Now it's time to release this word," there was a 14-year period. I mean, everyone say patience. We don't like that. We like microwave Christianity, drive-through McDonald's Christianity, and now you can call the grocery store. You don't even have to go to the grocery store. You don't have to wait in those lines. Okay, just so I went and had pizza with the kids yesterday. And I mean, my kids are so good. They had the pizzas already ordered. I got there. All I had to do is do what I do sacrifice my debit card. Okay, that's it. But they did it all. They had it all laid out, okay? But unfortunately, God is old. many people know God's old school? He's like the oldest old school guy around. He invented old school, he was old from the beginning of time. Eternity is a long time. So in, in that, I think we 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 gotta look at this prophecy stuff. And and I, I think there's a question that we really need to ask ourselves: are we insane or are we legit? <laughs> when it comes to hearing the voice of God, we gotta ask, are we really hearing something from the creator of the universe? Are we are hearing something from Jesus who rose from the dead and ascended to the right hand of the Father and gave us the Spirit? Are we are we really hearing from Jesus? And when we hear from the Father, or are we just good, sincere people who are crazy and have lost our minds? Or are we liars who know that we haven't heard from God, but we deceive people that we have? Now, I think children in this area, I think they inspire us and even help us to see the humorous side of this thing. I know that Annalise was telling me a story. Annalise, my, my youngest daughter, has two wonderful daughters, and uh, Briar and Meriwether. And Meriwether is very imaginative and very, and very dramatic. And in the car here the other day, she said something that every parent would stop the car and their ears would pop up if they want their kids to connect with God. And she said in her car seat, Mom, God spoke to me. Now, Meriwether's what, four? Four and a half. She goes, Mom, God spoke to me. I don't know if Annalise pulled the car to the side, she said stopwatch, but, you know, obviously the antennas, it means, well, like what? It caught Annalise's attention. She said, well, Meriwether, what did, what did God say to you? Well, he said, Mary, did you know an octopus has 20 arms? <laughs> My, my, one of my other great daughters, Ramona, we call her Roro. I don't know, if she's, if she's still doing this. is Natalie's daughter. I, but she was in this thing where Jesus told her everything. And uh, we were at Fort Vancouver down there at the blacksmith shop at the fort. And, and we were in, they had the bellow going where they're blowing that air on those coals. And Natalie was trying to explain to Ramona. She said, you know, they blow that, that hot air on those coals. that heats it up, and that heats the metal so they can shape. I know, Mom. I know. Jesus, Jesus told me that. Jesus told me that. And she was at this place where Jesus was just telling her everything. We couldn't tell her anything. Jesus already got to her first. Told her everything. I remember Annalise, my famous story of Annalise when she was five. And, of course, it's always tough being the youngest of four daughters. But we, it was during the time of renewal. And we had meetings at Bible Temple it went on. I mean, we'd have a Sunday evening service end at 10 o'clock, and you're driving kids home, and, you know, kids were excited. Kids were getting touched and, and, and impacted by the Holy Ghost. It was a powerful time, and, and uh, we even, Sue even woke up in the middle of the night with dreams. Like Bob, there's a whole bunch of people at the foot of her bed needing prayer. Honey, go back to bed. You're dreaming. No, no, they're right there. Let's pray for them right now. But, but uh, the kids are all talking, and then my five-year-old Annalise piped up. And uh, she basically, you know, outshined everybody. And she said, well, I've I've, uh, talked with angels. I almost stopped the car. Conversation went silent. All the sisters bending their ear towards their youngest sister and want to know what was going on. I said, oh, angels, have talked with you. Yes. What what are they saying to you? Honey, I shrunk the kids. (laughs) Disney got in there a little bit, and, uh, <laughs> but we're, we're not children, we're, we're adults who are really trying to hear from God about his, his will for our lives, we, we're, we're crying out for some clarity, we're crying out for some confirmation, we're, we're even crying out for some creativity, in other words, God that would create something in us. Come on, that we're born again by the word of God. Okay, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, that, that there's a creative thing that is birthed in us. We, we need to be visited from heaven. That's the cry of our heart. I wasn't interested going from a Catholic church, from liturgy, and I, re, I like liturgy. Okay, I, I, but I wasn't interested from going from liturgy to three hymns and a 20-minute chalk talk at some nice little evangelical church. I wasn't going to trade one for the other. What I was looking for was the power of God. And, you know, I I think the body of Christ has matured and and God just, you know, it's just not all about being touched by God. But I'm going to tell you this, I'm going to say this to you. If it wasn't for the power of God, I'd be in a mental institution right now. If it wasn't for the power of God, I'd be walking around in some striped pajamas someplace. And I'm not kidding you. I've been delivered by the power of the presence of God from mental illness. Okay? So I have a great appreciation for encounters with the Holy Spirit. And I know that. I knew that. I need the power of God or I'm going to lose my sanity because it's a long story. But I could share with you warning signs from the Lord on that that would actually really scare you. That God would deal with somebody like that. But he was trying to save my life. Come on. Besides the testimony of hundreds of people who have been strengthened by prophetic messages and launch ministries there's a question that has really helped me answer this question, are we legit or are we insane? And the the question is is this, can God guide us if he can't speak to us? It's a real basic question. I mean, how can God guide me if he can't talk to me? So, let's look at some scriptures here. Psalm 23, verse 2-3, one of the most famous scriptures of the Bible. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He what? Leads me besides still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, although he generally leads all of us through the Bible, okay, we have the general commandment and the express will of God. The, the issue is this. He, uh, he also leads us individually differently. Well, how does he lead us individually differently? Well, the next scripture tells us that. But the Helper, notice how we identify the Holy Spirit here, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Come on, the the, the Holy Spirit, the word Helper, means one who'll stand alongside of us. He stands alongside of us, and he's going to teach us. Now, to teach me and to teach you, he's got to be able to speak to me, and he's got to be able to speak to you, to teach me. Well, Bob, you're teaching us now. But this will fall on deaf ears and hard hearts if there's not someone communicating to you even as I speak. Jesus also said these words. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He will declare to you The things that are to come. He will glorify me. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. Notice, he guides, he speaks, he declares, he glorifies Jesus because all this is really coming from Jesus through the Holy Spirit to talk to us. You know, when you get to heaven, you're not going to be shocked. Like, I never saw it like that. You should have a relationship. The Bible describes it in 2 Corinthians thirteen fourteen, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. You should have such a communion with the Holy Spirit that we should just walk right up to Jesus and say, it's good seeing you. It's good seeing you. Yeah, when I see him, I'm going to become like him. My sanctification is going to become complete. All right, there's going to be a greater revelation, yes, yeah, but it's not going to be a total shock we have received as a deposit, Ephesians says, the Holy Spirit is a guarantee of our future re- resurrection. In other words, we got a, a, a sample and a foretaste and an appetizer of heaven with us now. So that's not a, just a big shocker when we get on the other side. And then, of course, Acts 13:2. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said. He spoke to them. Holy Spirit spoke to a specific person about a specific situation and a specific time. Now, how come we we can't hear God more clearly? That's a that's a good question. What, what you know one of the things that we need to come to grips with is that we live with a lot of racket. There's a lot of racket. Sometimes I have to go to hotels and cities around the world. There's, some cities around the world are very noisy 24 hours a day. They're just noisy. No, they never sleep. They don't even go down a little bit. They're, they're the same level 24 hours a day, and you've got a hotel room right next to the, in the main street, and it's just loud. It's a lot of racket, and you can't hear. Well, we've got a lot of racket that we hear. And what we really need is we need to hear something clear in the midst of all that racket. So a clear sound in all this racket is really what we're looking for. But what racket? I wanna give you seven rackets, and then we're gonna wrap this up. Racket number one, all together at once, in one thing, there, it's all there. <laughs> the racket of rejection. Let's just talk about the racket of rejection. Some of us deal with this voice within us that God's rejected us. Some of us, the people have rejected us. The church has rejected us. And there's just something that you have within your makeup that you're rejectable. There's just something where you feel like, man, people reject me, God rejects me, the church rejects me. Even though that may not be true, you're hearing that voice. That's a loud noise that blocks the voice of God out in your life. The Bible says there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Yeah. And even if you're not... A relationship with Jesus the Bible says the bride the, 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 the church the Holy Spirit is saying to you through the church come come Jesus said come to me if you're thirsty there's no rejection but that rejection does do that there's insecurity the insecurity in my life that am I accepted the insecurity in my life do I do I have something to offer this place the, the, the insecurity that I make a right decision some of you are plagued with second-guessing and third-guessing. Did I change that job? Did I do the right thing? When we sold that house, did we do the right thing? When we changed churches, did I do the right thing? When I did this, did I do the right thing? 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 And you're just plagued with insecurity. Blocks the voice. Insignificance. There's a racket and a noise of insignificance. You're not important. You have no value. you you're a failure. You, you you make no difference. You just kinda of, I'm just kinda of, I sit here, all they want is my tithe. There's nothing that I have to offer. That's why we're doing what we're doing this way, because you do have something to offer. You are significant. God does want to talk to you about your significance and your value. The racket of disappointment. Come on, broken dreams. Broken dreams. Failure. Maybe you failed horribly at something. Maybe you fell morally. You try and put the pieces back together in your life. Maybe you felt you were betrayed and it's just so broken your heart because of that betrayal. Maybe you, you didn't get healed and you wanted to get healed. And you're just kind of, you're living with a limp. You're living with an infirmity. You're living with a limitation. and you're, you just, It just has hurt you in the area of being hopeful That's it's led to the next racket of hopelessness. I have no future. I have no good things in store for me in the future. I have no success in the future. I have no promises that I can really hang on to. And you're living a hopeless life. You know what suicide is? It's basically an act that you basically have no future. It's the final statement. The pain has so overwhelmed me that there is nothing in the future for me. I can't think that far. I might as well end my life now. It the racket of distraction, the racket of bills, the racket of things that need to get fixed. And all the husbands said amen. amen. I got a giant hole on my bathroom floor right now. It's, it's a beautiful hole. It goes down about six feet. You can see it right through it. One of my grandchildren tore the tile up just so he could show me that hole. broken down cars, sickness we've got a lot of sickness in our family pneumonia, flu death okay, things hit us I mean, it's just not always a healthy season maybe it's soccer, little league maybe it's the latest Netflix binge they got some good shows, you get wrapped up in I do too I I watched Jason Patrick in some stupid movie last night kill about a hundred guys Why'd you do that, Bob? felt good. I mean, a thousand bullets shot at him and nothing hit him. He just shot everybody dead. There's the racket of materialism. I'm not talking about the love for money and the love for things. Materialism means this, that my life is about things. You can be materialistic and just have your shopping cart as a homeless person, but your whole world is wrapped around in that shopping cart and the things in that shopping cart. Or you could have a mansion. You're wrapped around that mansion. It's just that your life is about the material, not the immaterial. And if your life is about the material, not the immaterial, you can't hear the, the voice of the material, immaterial. Jesus said when he comes, you're going to know him because you already know him for he dwells with you and he's going to be in you. The world can't see him. Neither does it know him. Because they're material. The distraction of being material. And so we've got we to overcome this. But how do we overcome this? Well, we got to become like Joseph. we got to become like Joseph. Here comes that dreamer. That's what they said about Joseph. You know, God wants to break through all this racket to speak to us. He wants, us, he wants us to see beyond what we're seeing. He wants us to see beyond the here. He wants us to see beyond the now. He wants us to see beyond the past. He wants us to see beyond our limits. He wants to see uh, beyond our thoughts. He wants us to see beyond our failures. He wants us to see beyond our routine. He wants us to see beyond and to do that, he has to break through the racket, and he has to talk to us. Come on, we need to be dreamers, not cynical, not cynical skeptics, not cynical skeptics. So many times we become cynical skeptics. We, we're boring pragmatists. Dreamers, dreamers created America. Dreamers pushed the civil rights movement forward. Dreamers moved the 20th century with technological development. It was the Wright brothers who were dreamers. They were dreamers. What are you doing? We got this thing. We get a little motor behind it with a double wing, and it's going to go up for 30 seconds. But one day, you can put somebody on a plane and go around the world in 14 hours. Close to. What was that? It was a dream. How many of you remember our generation watching the Jetsons? And they could talk to each other face to face. I'm thinking, Shh, I'll never see that. Come on, FaceTime, Skype, we do it all the time now. We're living in the Jetsons. Next thing is the car that doesn't have any wheels runs on air and pods that we live up in the sky. You won't buy real estate, you'll have a pod. Come on, what happens? Dreamers dream these things. Dreamers change things. Come on, dreamers give us Disneyland. Dreamers give us athletes who sit on platforms to receive gold medals. Dreamers, we need to dream. You know what I appreciate about kids is kids can dream. You know, one of the reasons why kids can dream is because their brain is developing into possibility thinking, that what can be is is real to them, and their thinking process is what is now. But you know the other thing is they're not weighed down with the racket that we're weighed down with. They're not dealing with bills and pressures and failures and pain. And I mean, they're, they're, they're dealing with the ability to purely dream without hindrance. How many of you, when you were eight, nine, 10, you had this statement, when I grow up. You know, I'm gonna play major league ball. And When I grow up, when I grow up. And I know that a lot of those things don't get you know take place but a lot of them do something's being created even by the way god created us to be able to dream to see our future to vision it to go after it we, we 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 dream we we think of the possibility we're not plagued by failure we're not plagued by disappointment you know what jesus said in matthew 183 i'm gonna you may don't even think about it i'm gonna tell you he says and he said i tell you the truth unless you turn around and become like little children you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Do you ever think about becoming like little children? It means part of that is begin to dream like little children dream. I have, a, I have a picture here that Natalie, my daughter, is a great photographer, she took it. It's a, you probably can't see it in this. It's in my office. You, you come to my office because you're in trouble. Okay, you can see it. Now, it's just a joke. I, I come to encourage you in my office. <laughs> But this is over the threshold of my high school, El Segundo High School. It was built in the 1920s. It's a gothic structure. Hollywood uses all the time for movies now. But on this threshold, it has this statement. It says, enter to learn, go forth for service. I was 13 years old. My mom was basically the bag lady of our community, she was the crazy lunatic woman, talked to voices, and had epileptic seizures in public places. We were banned from public places. We were kicked out of places. We weren't allowed, I wasn't allowed to go into people's homes. She was a hoarder. We had no food. I was filthy. I, was, I never could bathe. Dude, my little sister's here today. She got used to punish just because she wanted to take a bath. Okay, we didn't grow up real nice. Life was not good. We didn't get a chance to eat meals like other people ate meals. And I was a horrible student. I was a horrible student. But at 13, my first day of high school—how would you get in high school at 13? I don't know. That's part of the problem. I, was like, <laughs> I stood looking at that threshold, that high school, and I remember reading those words, and I remember saying to myself, "It was an epiphany moment. I'm going to do that." I'm going to go in there and I'm going to learn and I'm going to live a life of service. You see, the power of a dream is so needed. We need to be like Joseph. Here comes that dreamer. That's what they said about Joseph. You know, dreamers, they, they have this way of envisioning their future. Now, maybe it's not exact, it's perfect, but they have it. When I parented my kids, I think the one thing I did do is I, want, I never wanted to douse their dream. I never wanted to squelch it. Just, I'll fan it. Maybe I had to balance it. Maybe I had to season it a little bit and kind of get reality and how it takes place. But come on, we want to envision what God wants to do through us. They may make decisions in the lighter of the bigger picture. I'm not going to do that because that's not part of my future. I'm not going to do that because that's not part of where I'm going. Little things matter because they can actually make the difference, the little things. So all of a sudden, little things begin to matter, so you start disciplining yourself. Dreamers see things differently. It's like two guys going to a, a party. It's like Ben and I going to a party, and, you know, Ben get stuck talking to some guy in the corner. He's just on some soapbox politically, and he bends his ear all night. He can't break free from the guy. He doesn't even agree with the guy. He doesn't want to argue. The guy's just got him cornered. I'm talking to everybody at the party. I'm hearing one story after another and catch up on this and eating hors d'oeuvres and having a great time. And, you know, we walk away from the same party. I got to see a bigger party than Ben. He got locked into one thing. He says, that was a lousy party. I'm thinking, I had a great party. You know, when we think bigger, we start seeing a bigger party. Yeah. We're not caught. We just that one guy that corners us in the corner. We see all the people in the party. We, we have a bigger view of what's taking place. We're committed to growth, whatever it takes. You need to do this and not do that. That's what I'm going to do. Stop doing this and start doing that. I'm going to do that. You're committed to growth. You're focused in a direction. You recover. You recover better from setbacks. You, you're, you're not affected by negative events. You know, when we lost the land, I paid a price for that in many ways. When We lost that property. But I remember I had to rally, and I had to rally as the leader of the church. I had to rally my elders. And I remember back in that room back there, I had an ink board. And I said, we have 1,000 people. We have about $1.7 million a year. And we own about 3 or $4 million in assets. Now, what would we do if we were starting all over again? Where we had a thousand people, an annual income of 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 money given, designated undesignated, 1.7 million, and we have three four million dollars in assets, and we're starting from the beginning. What would we do? And let's start dreaming. In other words, all is not lost. We got something. We got to look at the glass half half full, not not half empty. We, We got to pick ourselves up. We. God's still with us. He's still building something. We're still going to move forward. you got to rally. That's what happens with dreamers. They're optimistic about the future because God's in the future. Worship team, come on up here, please. Confidence is up because you just kind of got this sense. I'm a a man of God. I'm a woman of God. I'm a child of promise. God is in this. God will help me. God is faithful. you got to have this. Life is tough, but God is good. Life is tough, but God is greater. Life is tough, but God will come through. You just have that. When you're a dreamer, you have that in your heart and in your mind. We're coming up to meetings here. What we need as a church is that we need to open our hearts up and let God birth dreams in us again. All of us, including me. It doesn't matter what reality is because we've got to see beyond reality to see where God's operating what God's doing. This is my heart for the church, that we would get God thoughts that change destinies.